Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is The Laws of Life on cliffcentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokotlela. Welcome, Lines. Thank you very much, Gary, and good afternoon to our podcasters and our guests today, and it's good to see you once again, DJ Gary Hertzberg. <laughs> Today's show is about diplomatic and international law, hmm. and with us today, Rion Diaga and Elby Loebscher, both of the Department of International Relations and Cooperation in Pretoria. It's known as DIRCO, D-I-R-C-O. I'm going to introduce them in a little more detail a little later. Please don't tell me you are going to Australia. No, no, I'm going nowhere, Lance. Oh, thank God. <laughs> but I'll tell you who's having a, a clap at one another. Right now, the Brits and the Russians are having a real go at one another. The Brits have expelled, I think it's 23 Russian diplomats, yes. with Russian President... Vlad Putin screaming, it's nonsense, Russia would never poison a spy. Yah, yah, Vlad Putin. <laughs> DJ Gary, you did it once again. <laughs> oh, those Russians. Yeah. That's uh, Rasputin. It's a version uh, by uh, Love the Way You Move Funk Overload. It's quite uh, rhythmatic in you know, speeds and everything like that. And I like it. Yeah. So, lines, both countries, uh, Britain and Russia, are, are expelling the other's diplomats, and the ramifications could be rather serious. We're going to be talking to our guests today about this diplomatic crisis and how it impacts the world. No, I guess so, because uh, that also speaks to the policies insofar as those countries are concerned. But most importantly, I really see an opportunity here for another great movie. Think about it. Yeah, possibly. Red okay. Sparrow or something like Ooh. that. Wouldn't that be nice lines? Okay, on today's show, uh, we're also handling or discussing diplomatic immunity. What happens if a diplomat employs you? And then he wrongfully scops you out without going through proper procedure. Are diplomats subject to our labor laws? That's a really good wow, one. And, uh, yeah, can you, assuming that you're employed by the diplomat's wife as a housekeeper or a gardener or whatever, and she throws you out, what can you do? Can you drag them to the CCMA? Wow, that's quite an interesting question. Uh, what about if then they beat you up? Can you take them and open a case against them? Yeah, like we're going to get all happens, these answers, yeah. lines. It's uh, it's a tricky one. What happens, you remember some time ago, we had a woman in studio who was bitten by a diplomat's dog. Yes. yes. And uh, there was a problem with that one. Uh, how can you nail these diplomats who may crash into your car with his fancy D number? And he says, I'm a diplomat. I'm not paying you. That's so right. uh, these very good gents today are going to talk to us about that. Also... If you're assuming you're high now, next door to where I live, these, there's a consul, the embassy official, whatever. He lives next door to me. What happens if you rent him 
uh, your your property and he doesn't pay the rent, can you sue him? Exactly. Now, those are quite relevant questions because most people are actually facing those challenges on a daily basis. Yeah. There's something else that our listeners need to know about. If you go on holiday and you leave our shores and you go overseas, should you register with, with the department? Should you tell them, listen, I'm going to Thailand or I'm going to Vietnam or for that matter, I'm going to the UK? Should you tell them that? Because they like to know where the South Africans are and it, will it help you if anything, God forbid, goes wrong with you if you lose your passport or you get arrested or something happens to you? You know, I've, I've been seeing these great movies of uh, spies and everything. Mm. So then even the event that you are going to be arrested and you run into the embassy of South Africa, can you get arrested or can they really deport you? What, what's going to happen? Lovely, lovely. Yeah, um, yeah we're going to talk about <laughs> that. We know all about WikiLeaks. <laughs> That's really, really interesting law that... Yeah. The gents here today will give you all the answers. Lion, do you want to give our Twitter handle? It, it's Hetzlaw, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. And you may, and if you really want to, us to actually talk about any topic that are of interest to you, do drop us a line and we'll definitely entertain it and get a specialist, not just a lawyer, but a specialist within that specific area of law that you really are interested in and really dissect the subject matter until the core of it. Our partner today is Legal Talk South Africa with 173,000 members. Whoa. And they've also asked questions on the subject, which we'll be taking. Have a look, please, at our Facebook page. It's The Laws of Life. There are two. So ours is The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. And uh, Lions, you always say, take a look and give us a like. Yes, you know? certainly. Let's um, introduce our guests in a little more detail. Elby uh, Loebscher, he's a director Diplomat Immunities and Privileges of the Department of International Relations and Cooperation in Pretoria. Welcome, Bayadanki. Thank you for being here. We've got the best of the best today. It's, there's no joke, uh, doubt about that. Certainly. Welcome, LB. And they're, come, they're from my province. Yeah. <laughs> Good afternoon, Gary. Nice to be here. Thank you. Secondly, there's a man called Rion de Jager. He's a BLC. Listen to all these lines. LLB, LLM, Summer in Advanced Diploma, Labor Law. He's got more degrees than most. He is a, a principal state law advisor, international law, attached to the office of the chief state law advisor. The government gets the best people. You know that. Certainly. Um, he's in the Department of International Relations and Cooperation, known as Dirk. Uh, welcome to you, sir. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Rion, there's something I think that our listeners should know. Um, you walked in with a medical device to support your breathing, and we said to you, do you mind taking it off? So you said, well, for as long as I can, um, you have a breathing problem and you normally breathe through a mask. Maybe you should just, do you mind telling us what yes. it's all about? Yeah, I've got a type of uh, muscular dystrophy, which is like a deteriorating disease that I had as a child. So unfortunately, I need this, we call it a BiPAP, just to support my breathing. But uh, I call it my little slurpy. So I only put it on when I need, need to breathe. I'm try. I'm going to try not to put it on so the listeners can hear me better. If you do need it, uh, tell us with pleasure. Um, I mean, can one put it on then give you like a breathing space and then you take it off again or does it have to remain on for a while? It actually supports, it takes my breathing over because oh. my diaphragm is now to weak the muscle. So it just assists me to breathe, but I'll try. Okay. The illness you talk about is, what's the full It's, it's a muscular dystrophy yeah. with rigid spine syndrome. It's like uh, my muscles are slowly deteriorating. How many people in South Africa live with this? It's about five people in South Africa that has a rigid spine syndrome. 
But um, yeah, worldwide. I mean, is it more it, common? No, it's, it's actually it's only a few people. Uh, we have got like a support group that um, that we kind of subscribe to and send messages to of support. So, but it's not a lot of people that have this. Mm. I'm sure our listeners are with you in in every way and spirit, and uh, we hope you get through this interview. If you need the apparatus, uh, that's fine. Yes, yeah, no problem. Thank you very much, Rion. How did we? How did I get you here? Well, I, you, you write prolifically, especially in the lawyers' magazines and all over, about stuff that every South African need know about, which is diplomatic law. Not only do they need to know about it, they love to know about it. And we thank you for that. For our many, many lawyers listening, please check out Rion de Yacha's articles. Just Google it on uh, De Rebus, D-E, for those non-lawyers, new word, R-E-B-U-S. And there are some really good articles there that you've written. Thank you. Okay, let's. I think everyone wants to talk about the the Russian and, and British spat that's happening at the moment. Um, who wants to take this one? Tell us what the facts are. What's going on right now? I think if you look at the at the news, apparently there was that alleged poisoning of a uh, ex uh, Russian spy. Mm. So then uh, Britain then publicly accused the Russians of. Of having done that, mm. and as a retaliation, uh, 23 Russian diplomats were then expelled from the United Kingdom. Now, how is that done practically? How explain to us um, the sending state, which is Russia, sends its diplomats over to Britain. They could be sending them here as well. Are they here um, at the as a host of the hosting country? And can the host then say, "Listen, I don't want you here anymore. Get out." Is is that how it really works? I think actually uh, the principle of of a diplomat is to represent the sending state. Yes. So whatever you do, you do on behalf of the sending state. So all the immunities and privileges that we will discuss a little bit later mm. actually belongs to the sending state. And one of the, the, the ways to kind of express the satisfaction, the receiving state might then expel diplomats as a, as a sign to the sending state. That what they've done is unacceptable. How do they do that practically? How, how would Britain expel them? Would they write a letter to the Russian embassy and say, get out of here? How does it, how does it get done? Well, actually, Albi, you can that deal with diplomatic uh, uh, immunities per se. Just perhaps explain how that works. Yeah. Um, typically, the ambassador would be called in. By the foreign minister or a high official in, in the, of, of, of the receiving state, mm. uh, the message will be conveyed. It will be followed up with a uh, diplomatic note, which is the common and accepted way of correspondence between uh, states. And um, it doesn't have to imply a declaration of persona non grata, because that is an, an ultimate uh, a sanction. Uh, this probably it was just uh, informing the Russian government that these diplomats have to leave the United Kingdom within a certain period. And as we've seen, the Russians have then retaliated. Short, uh, retaliated and, but this is very common in diplomatic practice. Oh, does this happen it happens, regularly? It happens all the time. Is it like a, a game of cat and mouse between countries? Yeah, well, you know, we have to look at, the, uh, at, this, at the, the mechanisms and sanctions available. In, yeah. the, in the box of tools for diplomats, so you use the tools that you have available. So if you've got if you've got a gripe with with another country, 
the way to sort of get at them is to expel their diplomats. Is that is that really how it works in life in the international market? Not really, because remember, you would want the, the sending states diplomats there, because yeah. that's the way how the two countries interact. So I think that's a matter of last resort. Shannon Grat is actually the last before, of course, you recall your ambassador. So that is not really the, the ideal situation to or the, the steps to take. Can you, uh, is it for a, just for a limited period or are they just expelled and then it's up to the country that's expelled them to invite them back? And remember, when you send your diplomat overseas, yes. it's usually for a period of three to four years. So in any event, they will serve abroad for that period. But if you expel them, that same diplomat won't be able to return because each diplomat has to be accredited in order to enjoy immunities and privileges. So the 23 that have been expelled, that's the, that's the end of them for that very country? In the United Kingdom, correct. In the United Kingdom. Yeah. Yes. And then if they make peace, uh, I put that in inverted commas, the two countries, then another 23 would replace them. Is Most likely, yes, at a later stage. Hmm. Interesting, isn't no, it? It's right? very interesting. Yeah. Um, why 23? Because apparently these 23 were supposedly undeclared security services personnel. Because remember, some countries have members of the security services in the embassy, but declared as political um, officers, for instance. Yeah. So you won't, you won't declare your security people. But uh, of course, the, the, the security people of the United Kingdom most likely know that they are the security agents. Okay, got it. How many, I mean, I, I don't know if you would know the answer, how many people actually sent between these major countries, uh, Russia and, and in the UK, how many are, are each holding at any one time of the other? I think it all depends on the status of that, of that country in the mm. diplomatic relationship between the countries. Yeah. Like, for instance, our um, embassies in the United States and our mission in the United Kingdom yes. is one of the biggest that we have overseas because of the importance of the relationship between South Africa and those countries. Is it a secret how many South Africans are serving as diplomats, say, in the USA? Not really. Um, give us an idea. Because I think on a website, yeah. you, you more or less know who represents who. Because we indicate for the public that wants information, for instance, they can then go on the Durka website. So it, it is public knowledge. Albert, you may know offhand. Give us an idea of South Africans who's serving, serving where and in what capacity they serve. South Africans abroad. We have 126 uh, missions abroad. Uh, South Africa, that's quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Of course, these missions are then made up of bilateral missions with either embassies or, or um, high commissions. And we have consular missions. Typically, it would be consulate generals and then we have our accreditations to the United Nations uh, principally in New York at the mm -hmm. permanent mission to the UN in New York and Geneva and we have a smattering of of accreditations uh, in Vienna Kenya Rome and so on mm -hmm. and um, and yes I think uh Right now, we are as 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 a department also a, a bit under the financial strain that everybody knows about. So uh, this is not a, a figure that is getting bigger. It is a figure that may even get smaller. Durka falls under which ministry? It's it's the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. 
And that is uh, presently Lindiwe Sisulu. Sisulu, yes. Yes, that's new minister. She's just been appointed yes, now yeah. uh, by uh, Sulu Ramaphosa. Yeah. Yeah. She's got a tough, she's got a tough ask, hasn't she? Yeah. yeah. Especially with Australia and all the rest. But I, I know that, I know you don't <laughs> want to go there, but uh, I, I think she was quite offended by by the offer by the Australians to offer white yeah. uh, farmers. Anyway, yeah. let's... I think uh, all of us are offended. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay, so, uh, yeah, Where, Lines, I know you want to jump in. Yes, I just wanted to find out, uh, there was a um, an attack back in the days uh, in South Africa where a xenophobic attack against certain people who were not, who were Africans, but not South Africans, and I believe that also might have actually rubbed some uh, feathers wrongly uh, to some diplomats. How does... Deco deal with such things. Do you have to be like very gracious in terms of how you communicate the status quo insofar as South African attacks on foreigners? How how how, how diplomacy does does it really work insofar as communicating those? To be honest, there's more like a political question. Uh, I would argue, but what we do is between our we we will interact with our particular missions through the diplomatic channel. Um, so we try to explain, appease them. Because remember, we always want to have, you know, a good relationship with, with a particular country. Because Nigeria, at one point in time, did not allow South Africans to actually go. Correct. And, and as a as a result, who comes into that sort of scenario to really mitigate the situation from getting out of hand? Well, we have our political officers at that office. For instance, we will interact with the Nigerian High Commission in Pretoria, and of course, our ambassador overseas in in um, in the in the receiving state that side. Will then interact with them to kind of appease them. LB, do you do you travel a lot? Gary, I used to, but I, right now I am more. I mean, were you visiting all the embassies overseas? And uh, yeah, I have a quite extensive uh, uh, stint abroad. Yes. My question to you is: Who owns the property that is occupied by the, say, the embassy in, in the UK? South Africa House in yes. in London is owned by the British government. Oh, okay. And we've had it as South Africa on a 99-year lease. Um, I mean, you can imagine, for a very long time. Yes. Um, and it's a legacy of the of empire, really. Mm. It's not only South Africa that have that kind of uh, presence in, in London. Uh, you know, most of the former Commonwealth or Commonwealth states do have the same kind of uh, uh, presence there. So the properties are not owned, they are made available to the foreign missions by the British government and they are all, most of them are heritage buildings and are very well protected by British law mm-hmm. and South Africa, as I said, you know, that South Africa house has been there for a long time but it's 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 British government property. I think everyone, excuse uh, go I just on want to add there, it's yeah. actually a very good question yeah. because even if we own or lease these, we call it the chancery mm. overseas. You know, there's a fiction that everybody thinks if you own South Africa house, mm. you're all of a sudden on South African soil, mm. arguing that it's extraterritorial. Mm. But that's actually a fiction. Because yeah. if, even if we enter our embassy overseas, you are still on that soil of the receiving state. It is only inviolable. That's why uh, Julian Assange, who's now in the, um, in the embassy of Uruguay. Yes. The, the, the police can't enter because of the inviolability of the chancery. So it remains part of the receiving state, 
but it's inviolable, meaning that the agents of the receiving state cannot enter. The police can't go. Even a sheriff can't serve court papers at Chancery because of Article 22 of the Vienna Convention. Can any so in other words, can anyone if you if you if you're lucky enough to to hide out, you, you someone is seeking you and you hide out in the UK embassy, can no one get to you? The agents of the state can't know. The agents of the state can't. Obviously, the police can't go and arrest him. Mm-hmm. That's why Assange can just sit there forever. Is he still there? He's still there. How long has he been in that embassy? It's about know? three or four years. Yeah. It's oh. e- Ecuador, isn't it? No. Yeah. Ecuador, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, Ecuador, sorry, yeah. yeah. So he's hiding out there, mm. no one can get to him. Because of the inviolability principle, yes. Yeah. Inviolable, it's called. I think, uh, Gary, yeah. uh, just to add to what Rihanna is saying, if yeah. we consider that, uh, you know, we have to understand what an ambassador is. Mm. Ambassadors are usually referred to as ambassadors extraordinary and plenipotentiary. So have, they have powers, extraordinary and plenipotentiary powers conferred on them by the head of state mm. who sends them and accredit them to another head of state. Mm-hmm. So these are the only people in, diploma, in diplomatic life and in our environment that have these powers. You may find a lesser, like ministers, plenty potentially, but we won't speak about that now. But the point is that the embassy, as we, as you, only people refer to it, is really the supporting staff of that head of mission who has the powers. Mm-hmm. And that head of mission has the absolute say as to who may enter the mission, Mm -hmm. the chancery. Mm -hmm. So it is in the discretion of the head of mission then to say, yes, you know, I will accept you or I will not accept you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. You want to add to that, Rion? Well, yeah, I'll just put it very correctly, yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, South Africa is very involved. Uh, tell us also about AFCON, what that is and where you people fit in, and then the United Nations. How does that work, really? How do you become a member? How many people are you entitled to send? Do you know those those answers offhand? Well, actually, to, to come to AFCON, it's an international organization also. We refer to it as an intergovernmental organization. Mm. It's, it's kind of two state entities, and the relation between them will be governed by, by international law. Or public international law is the, the term. So, um, of course, we've got a, there's an Afghan, um, office in Pretoria, a representative office. Uh, Afghan stands for African Commission on Nuclear Energy. Yes, correct, yes. correct. So, in order for them to, to establish an office here, a regional office, they have to conclude, recorded a host country agreement. Mm. Now, that host country agreement regulates the, the manner in which the office will be opened, what immunities and privileges those officials will have, etc., etc., mm. and of course, they will then be entitled to lease property uh, uh, for their kind of chancery for their officials, etc. Yes. Just, just to follow up on that, the United Nations has an office in South Africa. They do, yes. yes. Now, what's that about? And how do you become a member? How many people are sent over to represent South Africa? Permanently. Well, you see, their head office is, of course, in New York. Yes. And there's also an office in Vienna, as mm. Arby said earlier. So we've got our embassy in Washington, mm. uh, uh, because usually... In New the, York, in New York. Uh, yeah, but the, oh, the, yes, our yes, diplomatic sorry. mission yes. is usually in the capital yes. in Washington. We have a consulate general in New York, and then also 
uh, uh, we call it the, the permanent representative of South Africa to New York. That's a separate diplomatic mission. Mm. But we can perhaps talk later about the immunities unless you mm. want to do it now. Well, you know what I, I really want to talk about is the, and I, I like the whole topic of the immunities. Let's go there and let's talk about from a labor perspective, if I may, you employ someone and you substantively and legally you, you throw them out incorrectly. Mm. Can they take you as a diplomat to the CCMA? Okay, I think let's start first. Mm. What is immunity? Mm. It's a procedural issue. In other words, it is the manner in which I diplomat. We've got separate types of diplomats. How the reason why they have immunity mm. is to shield them and to enable them to do their work. So it's actually only procedural and in nature. It is not, it doesn't affect any underlying substantial liability. So the reason therefore why they have immunity is for them to do their work. And it's very important to know that the immunity does not, um, uh, belong to the official themselves. It belongs to the sending state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it all depends which kind of mission you are accredited to. We've got the diplomatic agents usually accredited to the, to the embassy or the diplomatic mission or the high commission for that, for that matter. That, that is kind of, there's the different levels of protection. So diplomatic agents are the highest level, if I can put it like that. And they've got full immunity. Now that immunity, for instance, includes inviolability. They, they, their residences, their vehicles, their private papers, their correspondence. Also they have, um, they're immune from the jurisdiction of the um, criminal courts, the administrative courts, and the civil courts, and also then they, they cannot be forced to be a witness. Mm. Now, as you say, the example, we are dismissed by a domestic worker. Mm. Because of the immunity, they cannot be taken to court. The they diplomat ca cannot be taken. They cannot be sued to go to the CCMA. Mm. I mean, do they abuse this, the diplomats? I, I, well, it's a hard one to ask you, but... There's yeah. a particular provision in the Vienna Convention Article 41 that says that all diplomats must respect the laws of the receiving state. So with other words, if they abuse their powers, then the, the first thing we can do is we can call them in, we can complain, but if they persist, we can declare them persona non grata, which means undesirable, so they can be expelled. There are ways and manners in which we can hold into account. That's not really to expel them. is is not very helpful to the domestic worker that's been badly treated. Unfortunately, you must also remember when when you are employed by a diplomat, there are inherent risks involved because of the protection they enjoy. Does does a prospective domestic worker understand this? Unfortunately, not probably no. not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just want to add there that you know, I've I'm, in my office we have many discussions of this uh, nature, and you know, it is it's it's really sad that so many of our citizens seek employment from foreign diplomatic or consular missions mm. without understanding what they are actually getting into. You know, they don't understand. Do their homework and understand the, the well, issues of. Forgive me, LB. I'm a lawyer, and no. well, I have done. I've done this before, but uh, I mean, generally, most people don't know that there's such a thing as, as diplomatic immunity, insofar as your employee is concerned, mm. and that you can treat him like shit, and you can throw him mm. out, and there's nothing you can do mm. about it. I mean, it's yeah. like 
But luckily, that guy's got this policy which we kind of evolved where we try to assist our own citizens while also also protecting the rights of the diplomats. So remember, that goes like the mediator. Mm -hmm. And that's why Albi's directorate plays a very important role because they can complain to Albi's section. We can then call in the mission and listen, we have received this complaint. Please assist. Ensure that the rights of the particular person is in so he's um, kind of acknowledged. Yeah. So we, we have ways and means to assist our people. But at the same time... Well, that, calls, that really calls for the diplomat uh, to, to kind of be decent about it. But if yes. they're not, and that's the end of that. I mean, the employee walks out with nothing. And I'm sorry. Not even a sorry. Well, for instance, I can add, that there's something we call residual immunity. If, for instance, um, a false diplomat... The, the, the diplomatic agents are fully protected. But consular agent or consular officers and other lesser officials of the embassy only have functional immunity, which means that something they do in their private capacity, they can still be held accountable. So not every person that labels themselves as a diplomat has full immunity. Correct. I think that's what we've got to work out. Mm. How do you find out if you have been uh, wrong, wrongly done by a diplomat? He may crash into your car. And you suffer damages. You've got your excess. You may not be properly insured. You've got a hundred thousand rand claim. He went through a traffic light. How do you find out whether he has immunity or not? See, all diplomats are accredited mm. to our to Derko. so they can uh, apply to to Arby section mm. okay. to issue a we call it a section nine three certificate mm. to say that Mister X was, in, for instance, involved in an accident. Mm. Um, what is his accreditation? So we can issue a certificate and establish whether this is a mm. diplomatic agent, a consular officer, etc., etc., and that certificate will be conclusive proof in court of the immunities. Mm. Oh. Excellent. So really, from our perspective as the public listening, the first stop really is to go to Durka and say, yes. this man has done yes. a wrong. Can you tell me where I stand with him, please? Correct. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You may be interested to know also that on our Durka website, Yes, under state protocol, um, uh, on that page there is published uh, a list of foreign diplomats in South Africa as permission, mm-hmm. and I find that not many people know this. Oh yeah, um, and once you 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 know our website is a is is a treasure of. Uh, uh, information of information, and you, I encourage listeners to go there and look at it. You'll be surprised what you can find there. Good. D i r c o dot c o dot z a. dot gov dot z a. Let's talk about trying to serve a legal process. Uh, there are many lawyers that don't, may not know that a client arrives at their door, says he's been injured in some way or another by a diplomat, and they issue summons against that diplomat. That's a criminal offence, isn't it? To Correct. do that. Section 15 of the Diplomatic Immunities and Privileges Act prevents any person that's an attorney, a sheriff, or anybody else yeah. to serve papers, for instance. And that's why to, to come back to the inviolability issue I raised before. Yeah. In order to serve a summons, let's say on the United States government, you cannot do it on the embassy because of the inviolability. Mm. But Section 13 of the Foreign States Immunities Act provides for the service of process on a foreign state. So what they do, they should then bring the summons to, to Derko. We will transfer it to our embassy in Washington and hand it over to the State Department that side and then provide the particular attorney 
with a, with a proof of service. And sorry, does it then get served on the U.S. government in yes. the, in in it was in by Washington? The, yeah, by the diplomatic bag, dry emission, yes, and that will be handed over. When would what? you sue a, a government, U.S. government? For, for instance, if for for a, a lease agreement, okay. Let's say the United States Embassy here leases property for one of its diplomats, mm. and they default or refuse to pay rent, etc. And then and then the landlord wants to sue them for damages. Or for the rent, then that's the way to do it. Sorry, Rion. May a diplomat himself personally enter into a lease agreement with a South African? Yes. Or, yes. Because remember, what they, what they do is in their official capacity, mm. and it's very actually a very good question. Because mm. there's like um, a difference of opinion on whether their immunities will be affected. But if you looked at, at I think it's Article Thirty One One of the Vienna Convention, there are certain exceptions to the. Um, the immunity they have from the jurisdiction of the courts. Now, I think subsection C refers to something they do in their private capacity. Okay. But, and the courts have held internationally that if you kind of, um, have a domestic servant and anything that's incidental to life of a, of a diplomat overseas, they will have immunity. Mm-hmm. For instance, we had a few cases at our missions overseas where we argued that the ambassador's domestic servant the fact that she employs her is not a private issue. It's still an official capacity, mm. and that has been upheld by the courts. Give us some advice, good advice. <clears throat> I'm a property owner. I have a diplomat who wants to rent my property here in Santon. Do I enter into the lease with him? Do I insist on entering into the lease with the sending state? Do I enter into the lease with his wife? What do I do? I would argue and advise them to do it with the embassy itself. Not with a diplomat. Mm-hmm. What happens if we have a dispute afterwards on deposits? You, yeah. Just, just to, to say yeah. why I say that. Because yes. if, if you have the, the landlord as the sending state, mm. because it's a kind of a commercial activity, in terms of the Foreign States Immunities Act, they will not be able to invoke, we call it sovereign immunity, because I think it's very important to distinguish what is state or sovereign immunity vis-a-vis diplomatic immunity. Mm. Sovereign immunity belongs to the sending state. And the Foreign States Immunities Act clearly states that if it's a commercial activity, then our courts will have jurisdiction. But if it's a, um, any act in the performance of sovereign authority, then our courts won't have jurisdiction. So it's very clever, I would think, think the rather you have the, the lease concluded with a, with a particular mission. And if we have a lease with the United States government for my property next, for my own house that I'm renting out, and there's a dispute on fair wear and tear and deposits and all that nonsense. Can I sue? You can. I can sue the United States government overseas. No, or, no, you have yes. to sue here. You sue here. Yeah, but then, of course, use the, the service of process in terms of one of the Foreign States Immunities Act. Yeah, okay. So that's great advice. Don't do it with the diplomat himself. I would recommend rather with the, with the sending states. Would, would you know whether they would do things like that, the, the governments that send their people over? Would they enter into leases on... You know, in their own name, or would they insist? There are some of them that do that, mm. but then, of course, if they default, we can try and also through the OB section before they go to court to see whether they can't settle. We can we can call them in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yes, this is also interesting, isn't no, it? It's like, quite interesting. Yeah. I, I wonder, yeah. does the protection also goes to uh, extend to the spouses, let's say children, for example? If I have children who are living in South Africa. Do they also get children? Yeah, yeah. Do, yeah the children uh, do they have uh, immunity? Actually, I would, uh, again, 
you have to look at who the diplomat is. If it's a diplomatic agent, that's usually the ambassador, including the the, the political uh, official of the embassy. They, their spouses and family members, if it's part of the household, will have full immunity. The reason why is to protect the diplomat again, because it has happened sometimes to get to the diplomat through the family. Mm. That's why the family itself will also be protected mm. by diplomatic immunity. Mm. However, consular officers and lesser types of, of diplomats, their spouses won't have immunity. Good. Let's talk about travel now, which is always something that we South Africans want to do. Your department encourages South Africans who travel abroad to, abroad to, to register with DERCA. There's a thing called Rose Help, which I think is down at the moment uh, yes. in the system. Can you explain why you, you recommend that we register and what's the advantage mm-hmm. of that? Gary, if I can take you back uh, to the Asian tsunami uh, 2004, Mm. that's where we learned uh, very hard lessons. Um, As when when that uh, tsunami struck, um, day after Christmas, um, and we became aware as a country, like many other countries, that there were a massive loss of life. But now. How do you determine, you know, where your citizens were, were they affected? And uh, I can tell you that it took us the best part of a month following that disaster to account for every South African uh, in Thailand and other parts of Asia that were uh, um, either uh, killed by the tsunami or or, uh, became destitute in some way. So, and and that led us to, to... and it wasn't a new concept, but it, it, it reinforced the idea with us that we need to, we have to encourage South Africans when they go abroad to to let us know where they are. Mm. And it's not for reason uh, that you don't we, share that information. No, with we we, we, we don't we don't. Uh, many South Africans think we are uh, in codes with SARS. No, yeah. that's not the the yeah. idea. Is really to address destitute and and. And, and South Africans who are in need when they require it. And if we know where they are, I mean, the tsunami was an extreme example, but, you know, a bomb explosion in a, in a, in a metro station in Moscow is just as severe or in London. Uh, and you would always want to know where any South Africans in that vicinity so that we can deal with it yes. uh, as quickly as we can. Makes sense. Yeah. If you lose your passport overseas, I know a lot of people keep phoning South Africa and phoning their family, and please, mom, organize this for me. What what is the right approach if God forbid you lose your passport? What do you do? Uh, well, you need to contact the, the nearest embassy or consular office uh, of South Africa. Yes. Um, uh, but before you do that, or simultaneously, do report that loss to the local police. Okay. Because in our procedures, we would also always want to know that that loss was legitimate, if I may put that in inverted mm. commas. Mm. Uh, and and, uh, and a police report will just reinforce that that there was in fact uh, you know a bona fide loss. What happens? Uh, sorry, Albi, how long does it take to get a new passport if you're overseas in in a third world country or so? Is it? Yeah, I can't answer that okay. question for you right yeah. now. It's it's not something. That sometimes I deal people with are them. stuck and they yeah, just. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm aware of that, but yeah. I, I I really don't know. I don't want to speculate. Can cool. I just add to that as yeah. well? What I usually advise my friends before they travel, always get the the details of the embassy or the consulate 
we will be traveling to. It's always just uh, nice to have that information. And it's all available on our website. Mm-hmm. Let's say you travel to, to Prague. Get them in South African Embassy in Prague's details. That's great advice. Okay. really That's is. Great. Let's take some questions from Legal Talk, our partner on this one. Uh, here's one from Lisa. She says, a colleague's sister, South African, passed away in Mozambique in December. Mm-hmm. Her boyfriend, a Mozambican lines, has cut off all communications the day she died and has taken their two kids, one's a newborn and one's two years old with him. She wants to know, can you advise me on how to trace him or the ba- the kids Wow. Uh, we we just need you know we want to get her body back. We we yes, don't know what to do. That's the so question. What do you do in that case, Rion? I tell you, we've got a section at that office called the consular section. Mm. They render consular services, and one of the 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 services that they render is something like this. So, what I recommend that they approach the the, the um, particular section within that that chief directorate that deals with Africa. And it's all available on the website. And they will then interact with our mission, in this case in Maputo, to assist. Good. Riet wants to know, uh, please help. Who do we approach when the mother of your child has skipped the country to Russia or wherever? Both parents have custody of her. She probably means joint custody. The mother is not a South African. The father is in a terrible state. Who does he approach? Is this your concern? Is this something Durko does? or It's actually more the family advocate. Yes. And I know Advocate Siabe, she's the chief family advocate. Mm. They actually deal with that particular convention. It's called the Hague Con- Convention on the Abolishment of... Oh, that's the, the abduction. No, no. Yeah. Child, actually, child yeah. abduction. Hague Convention on yeah. Civil Aspects of International Child, child abduction. abduction. Correct, yes. Yes. Right, yes. Yeah. So um, Advocate Siabe is really... Mm. They deal with it on a daily basis. So if somebody snatched the kids and left, you'd... It's not Durko's real concern. You go to the no. family advocate on this. Because in terms of that convention, yes. the the um, uh, the section that deals with that is the family advocate with justice, Department of Justice. Cool. Michelle wants to know: Can anyone help me as to how to get a tourist visa to Uzbekistan or wherever there may not be? The question to you is: If there's no um, diplomatic representation in South Africa. Where do people go? I don't know how many countries there are that don't have representation. Actually, so. w- what they can also do, because some countries we don't, but which doesn't have uh, diplomatic um, representation, mm. they have a, a honorary consul, with other words, an African yes. that assists with, the, with 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 issues of that particular country. Okay. But again, go to Dirk's website. We will then indicate, you know, whether there's any. Does every country in the world just about have some kind of consular representation? Especially in South Africa, more or less, Mm. yes. Look, we, this is not an uncommon question. We, Mm. we deal with this all the time, but um, one can, I mean, if I'm in my office and I get a question like that, I Google Uzbekistan. (laughs) And um, because the Uzbekistan government's website Mm. will also tell you. Uh, how you can go about getting a, a visa for that country. Okay. Yeah. Cool. One that always comes up, and there were hundreds on legal talk, is the apostille of documents. Apostille. Do you know what an apostille is when it's needed? Uh, who wants to take this one, Rian? That's about the legalization. You can't keep you quiet, mask or no mask. <laughs> no. This is fantastic. I don't want you to stop, keep you going for an hour with no mask. It can be done. Um, that's dealt with by another Hague convention called – the, the short word is the Apostille Convention, mm. but the long name of it is the Hague Convention on the Abolishing 
of the requirements of legalization for foreign public documents. Quite a mouthful. Okay, so th- what this really means is um, a country outside of South Africa, wherever it may be, Greece for that matter, wants a, a document from South Africa. Uh, an official document. An official document. For instance, like a birth certificate. Yes. Or if you want to work overseas, you want your um, degrees to be presented there, but that has to be called authenticated, yeah. which means to, s- to make sure it's an official document. Mm. But in order to do that, yeah. there are two types of procedures. One is where the particular state is a, is a contracting state of the Hague Convention, mm. the Apostille Convention in this case. Or if it's not um, a contracting state, then you have to legalize the document. Now the question is, what does that mean? That means that you have to authenticate the signatures on that particular document. Now, the reason why the Apostille Convention was kind of um, set up or agreed to by the I conference is to make it easier. So, to quickly, uh, I don't want to waste too much time, but just to explain. the um, If you want to legalize it, you have to go to, let's say, the Department of Justice has to authenticate a court order. Yes. Then the registrar of the High Court must, must issue a certificate. Mm. Then that must come to Durka that has to re-authenticate the signature of the registrar. Then you have to go to a particular embassy of that country for another um, uh, authentication before it can be presented to that country. Who knows all this? If the man in the street needs his birth certificate authenticated, apostilled in, uh, for, for wherever... Who's, who will direct him on this It's one? again our website. Okay. Our website oh. actually sets out step by step what to do, when to, to do it. Okay. Because also the um, the website of the high conference, it's www.hcch.net. Actually, I was in a, in a privileged position to represent South Africa at the high conference about the Apostille Convention a few years ago where we kind of concluded a handbook on how the Apostille Convention works. So the website is actually the the, the main main place to go. Good. It's all there. Yeah, Lance. I just wanted to find out if, let's say, I, as a South African, I go to a country where maybe homosexuality is not accepted and I get arrested, what do I do? The, be- the first is to contact the embassy if possible okay. because they have a consular section um, that will assist you with to see that the laws of that country is respected. That you have representation. That's one of the consular services that our missions abroad um, provide. Can, in the event that let's say you are found to be acted unlawfully according to their rule, can they then send you back to your country of origin, or do they keep you? Unfortunately, see the missions can't interfere with the local legal system per se, so we can't force them to do something that their law does not allow. But we will make sure that you are. Are properly represented. We can provide you with a list of attorneys. We we'll provide your family with information. We we'll even visit you in prison, because that's part of the consular services, and you're entitled to that as a citizen. Quite interesting. You're entitled to that as a citizen mm-hmm. if yeah. you're arrested outside of South Africa. That's been confirmed by the even our constitutional court. Oh, really? Because that's, that's part of diplomatic protection. Yes. So even if you've been used as a drug mule or whatever. You, you're yeah. entitled to be visited. We won't judge. Yes. Oh, we will assist you now. Because you're entitled to make sure that you are, mm. you're know, not, um, there's no torture in prison, that you have legal representation. Mm. We will do, there's kind of a, a schedule 
that our, our mission personnel has to kind of apply and stay to. When you talk about torture, uh, if then the country believes in torture, can the, the embassy protect me from torture, given the fact that we respect people's uh, rights in our country? Or well, how does it work? Unfortunately, our constitution does not apply outside our borders. But we can make sure, if possible, try to make sure that your rights are protected. So we had approached that country through the diplomatic channel, etc., etc., to make sure that the rights of our citizens are protected. Mm. Gents, it's been a lovely discussion. I think the best part of this discussion is you've got through without yes, your I mask. Did. One, that, that, for me, is the best part. You're, you're a lovely man, and you sit in a, what is that, a mobile wheelchair? I call it a scooter. What, what, actually, what is the medical term for that? I don't think there is a medical term. Yeah. It's a mobilized wheelchair. Uh, forgive me, can you walk or not? Or not anymore, unfortunately. So you're confined to a wheelchair? Yeah. yeah you, have a, you have a wonderful partner in studio with you. Thank you. He helps me a lot, yes. Yeah, what is his name? It's Henny. Mm. Well done, Henny. Yeah, your patient's uh, well looked after. I think we'd like to thank uh, Durko for allowing you gents uh, to be here today. It's been Rion de Yaga and Elby Loebscher of Department of International Relations and Cooperation. A great discussion. Loved it. Learned a lot, Lions. Did. To our listeners, excuse me, many thanks for this, and uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, cheers. Thank you. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com.